Hey, it's Jackie, and this episode I'm talking to my husband Steve because he just got home from South Sudan, and I wanted him to share with you all some of the stories he's been telling me. Now, most of you probably know that we raised our kids in the suburbs of Dallas, and that was like Steve's biggest regret. Um, When they were young, I started to pray that they would see and know a global God, a God that was bigger than their suburban white experience, a God that loved all of his creation, all people in all places, a God that took away the sin of the world, not just mine or yours, but the world, individuals, people, groups, and even systemic sin. Now, that was a big prayer. I had no idea how that was going to happen because we didn't make enough money to travel, especially not internationally. But I always say this, but God. I mean, my mom would pay to fly us home for, to New York for Christmas, and we'd get bumped again and again to the point where we could take all five of us abroad five times. I know that sounds a little out of this world, doesn't it? But it happened. And when it came to exposing the kids, Steve wanted to go big. No surprise, right? I, on the other hand, wanted a soft landing. After all, our kids were four, six, and almost eight. And I knew that my Indiana Jones husband wanted adventure off the beaten path, not American style in a foreign land, but going native. I, on the other hand, just wanted them to taste and see a big God. Steve wanted them to know people who live on the other side, you know, the underbelly of society, and then to adjust their lives accordingly. And that means we didn't take them to safe places. They were exposed to things I'm not sure, looking back now, we should have exposed them to. Like Hunter, he sat in a tin hut in the slums of Calcutta, Or when Madison had to have her brothers and her father surround her while walking through a market in Cairo. Or when Hampton had to duck into a Tuklu to avoid gunshots in South Sudan. I'm not sure how they coped between being exposed and then coming back to a culture where retail therapy is a thing. There's a statement Solomon makes that I've often pondered. He said, the greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. That's in Ecclesiastes 1.18. Let me say it again. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. Yeah, so we increased our kids' worldview, but it didn't come without a cost. And it was because of Steve's interest in Africa that I found myself in Rwanda right after the genocide in 1994. I mean, the streets and the buildings were bombed out, and you could feel the violence like blood seeped into the ground. It was unnerving. The night before we returned to the States, a bunch of soldiers surrounded our building, and we couldn't do a thing about it. And so I just like went prostrate on the ground and started praying like, I got to go home. I've got little kids, Lord. We made it home. In 2005, Steve took our family to East Africa for the summer, and while we were there, we hosted two conferences, one where I taught on preaching, and another where we taught a group of women about microfinance. And my mom flew in from the States for that second conference. And one day, we were all traveling in this truck on this dirt road, and the traffic stopped for a long time. And I had to go pee, and so did my mom. So we went into the bush, 
only to hear some men from Switzerland start yelling at us, telling us that in that field there were landmines. Yes, you heard that right, landmines. And I was like, oh my God, my siblings are going to kill me if mom dies out here. We made it out. Later in 2018, I returned to Sudan, which was now South Sudan. The country had divided and then went into a civil war. And I showed up during that time. And when the plane landed in Ye, South Sudan, we were met by a bunch of military men with what kind of guns? AK-47s. AK-47s. Yep. And I sat there between two young men, probably just barely 20, holding these guns. And that Sunday, I was going to preach. I was the first woman in this church to do so. And the military showed up and scoped out the place and then surrounded it. Why? Because the government cabinet members wanted to attend. They'd never seen a woman preach, let alone a white woman preach. So I preached at that church with a whole lot of armed guards and government officials surrounding me. My travels to places outside my comfort zone, and man, were they outside of my comfort zone, have made me aware of the plight of women and girls globally. I mean, we've got stuff in our backyard, and you've heard me talk often about what happens to women in America, and particularly in conservative um, evangelicalism. We've got stuff here. There's no doubt about it. Like, um, in America, women hold only 8.2% of CEO positions in the S&P 500. Women earn 82% of what men earned in 2022. Essentially, women have to work an extra 44 days to earn what a man does. Now, if you work in Christian ministry, that's way higher, just saying. And then we had this Me Too, Church Too movement, and that pulled back a curtain, didn't it, at how pervasive sexual violence and exploitation is in our country and in our churches. And I've sat with women who've experienced domestic violence. Did you know that in America, one out of three women will experience domestic violence in their lifetime? That's a a slice of the dark side of the lives of women in America. But globally, what does it look like globally? Because I've had God expand my vision. And let me tell you something. There is systemic sin raging against our sisters globally. 60 million women worldwide are child brides. 80% of people trafficked across borders are women. Two-thirds of the world's illiterate adults are women. 117 million women are missing due to female gendercide. We could say, in many places around the world, it is downright dangerous to be a woman or a girl. And why is that? Why do we see these kinds of statistics Well, there's a whole lot of variables, obviously. One is poverty, but on a deeper level, I'd say it's systemic sin that started at the fall. It's there God's vision for men and women was ruptured. That's where patriarchy began. Patriarchy, by the way, is a system that elevates some men over other men, women and girls. In 2015, I attended the UN Commission on the Status of Women. 8,000 people from around the globe gathered together to talk about the plight of women globally. I have no idea how I got there, but there I was, walking through the halls of the UN. And I learned during that time frame that there's a correlation between patriarchy and the violence against women. 
The higher the patriarchal society, the more prevalent the violence against women. I also learned that when a society dehumanizes a particular people group through exclusion or by definitions, those particular people become more and more expendable. And we saw this with slavery in America, didn't we? We were able to oppress blacks because we convinced ourselves that they weren't as human as white people. Did you know that in 1994, the UN made this statement? Women are humans. Not even that women are equal or that women have rights, just women are humans. And some countries would not sign off on that statement. Do you know why? Because if women are human, then human rights apply to women. Human rights are women's rights, and women's rights are human rights. And some countries around the globe say, no, women are not human. Yeah, that really still goes on. Recently, I was teaching a group of men in South Asia, Southeast Asia, and I shared about God's vision for mutuality that we see in Genesis 1 and 2 between men and women, this idea of the blessed alliance, right, called to this cultural mandate, both of them equally called. And one man stood up and kind of went nuts. I didn't understand what he was saying, but I could tell by his body language he was not that happy with some of the things he was hearing. He was asking, basically, how could a woman be equal? She was deceived in the garden. It was Eve who was deceived, and therefore she could never be man's equal. Yeah, so I had to slow a whole lot down, and we had an afternoon conversation about that. I took him to philosophy and Socrates, and whoo, we've got a long way to go to overcome systemic sin against women. And that's one of the reasons I started the Marcella Project to ennoble, right? That word means to lift up to dignity, women, as Jesus intended. It's true what Beth Allison Barr says, to change the lives of women, we first have to change our ideas about women. But that's not the only way we can change the lives of women. Because my husband, well, he does it a different way, Indiana Jones kind of way. He just returned from a trip from South Sudan, and I so wanted him to share with you how his work is changing the lives of women and men and really just reestablishing the blessed alliance in a very high patriarchal society. Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of the Marcella Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions, dealing with real issues, and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. So welcome home, Steve. So glad to have you here with me. Um. I'm here. You're not totally with I'm me. I'm not totally here. <laughs> These 40 hours of travel are, are getting uh, harder and harder, but I'm really glad to be here today. So 
You had said uh, to me recently that you just calculated this last trip that you went on, which you got home two days ago, was your 87th trip. 86. 86. Okay, sorry. 86th trip to Africa. Um, Share with our listeners how you got started in this whole thing that you're doing. Well, um, I, by what this whole thing that I'm doing, I think you're talking about Water is Basic, the organization that uh, I had the privilege of founding and, and running at this time. Uh, I like to tell people I was either in the wrong place at the right time or the right place at the wrong time or however you want to look at it. But I happened to be on the board of an East African organization for several years. Their focus was um, peace and reconciliation. And uh, this, uh, there was a vision to bring together uh, leaders from the north of Sudan and the south of Sudan in Uganda, uh, just as the CPA, the Comprehensive Peace Agreement, was being signed after 55 years of war. And they, the question came out, would you like to you know, be an observer at this? And I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. And um, it was remarkable to hear uh, the different voices, pastors who had seen their parishioners murdered or pastors who had been a part of murder, et cetera, just to see this whole reconciliation process. And once these guys started to kind of um, um, become one, the next question became, what can we do together now that we have peace? Now we have to understand this is a country at the time, um, and it's not changed a whole lot, but really no roads, only two surgeons for 13 million people. Uh, 90% illiteracy rate, uh, the largest percentage of illiterate, gener- illiterate generals in the world. I mean, we're talking a very difficult place. And so the question came, can we work together to do something significant quickly for our people? And uh, I was invited to go back over and do a week of brainstorming with them. So I did, which was a lot of fun, um, trying to get people who have lived uh, only in horrific circumstances for 55 years to brainstorm is not an easy thing to do. Well, we did, and uh, they broke them into five groups, and they were very passionate, some of them passionate about building clinics, some about building churches, others about farming, trauma healing, et cetera. And the last day they came, and they shared their ideas and their top ideas, and lots of excitement and cheering until a a little old man raised his hand and said very clearly, "Um, why would we do any of these things? Our people are dying of dirty water. Yeah, like you can't, great, education's important, but you can't go to school if you're dead because you had dirty water well, or, or sick. You can't go to school if you're spending all day looking for clean for right. water. So, uh, I, you know, I guess, you know, I, I was just sharing with our people in South Sudan that old statement, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's there to hear it, did it really make any noise? And, well, I, this tree fell, and I was there. And if I didn't go back and start sharing what I had heard and the focus that these folks had, I thought I would kind of be an idiot. So I did. And people just rallied around and we started raising money and, you know, next thing, next thing, next thing. We've got South Sudanese team in South Sudan. Uh, It was Sudan at the time, but um, drilling water wells and repairing water wells. That was 86 trips ago. 86 trips ago. It was 2006 um, that that meeting happened. So you've been at this for a while. Yeah. Okay, but during the pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, you had this idea pop in your head. It's it's not an idea that came because of the pandemic, by the way. Um, you, no, you but know, that's when it happened. I, people like to ask me, are you an engineer? No, I'm not a hydrologist. <laughs> I'm not an engineer. I'm just a... Uh, um, You're Indiana Jones. I'm Indiana Jones, which would be the clean way of saying I just get stuff done. And um, what I, what we noticed, like one time I landed in the dry season 
And I went to visit a well we had drilled, and the women were really angry. And I'm trying to figure out why they were angry. Well, because we only drilled one well and there was a lot of people, they were sometimes waiting in line 48 hours to fill a jerry can. A jerry can holds 20 liters of water. And then when they got home after that two days of waiting in line, their husbands would beat them because they said, where have you been for two days? As if they're out, you know, at a discotheque or something. Fooling around or something, yeah. (laughs) Um, So slowly but surely in my thick skull, I began to realize not only is water an issue. Now, in, 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 in Africa, women go and get the water. Right, it's a women's daughter. issue. It's a women's, it's a women's task. Right. But I be, began to realize, wait a second, it's really a big burden for women. So we began to require that 50% of all water committees be women or we would not be involved, et cetera. But what happened during the... Uh, the, the okay, pan- so wait, let me just back up because no one knows exactly what that means. What a water so you would, is. Right. Okay, I can explain that. Um, there, you know, it's the most important resource in a, in a community. So I like to explain to people, let's just assume you live in the far west Texas and you have a swimming pool. It's the most important thing in the entire community. There's cool water during the summer. Of course, the community is going to put a board together to manage that swimming pool. Who gets to swim in it? How do we clean it? How do we maintain it? Otherwise, you're going to come back in a few years and there's going to be a hole in the ground with dust in it. Same thing with a water well. It's the most important asset in a community. It's the only thing that gives, it's the thing that gives life and opportunity and hope. And so there are typically a water committee that manages it, collects some fees to repair it, hopefully. Um, we required that 50% of those committee members be women, which was mind-bending for people. In fact, we had people look at us at times and say, okay, and then we'd go back and they'd have no women on the committee. Because it was a woman's task, but the leadership, the oh. village leadership, the committee was male. Yes. That it could not be a woman Absolutely. speaking into right. the task that they were responsible for. So then we would leave and we'd say, sorry, we, we can't, you know, we can't repair this well until there's 50% women. Then they'd add women. And then a year or so later, they go, my goodness, this is a whole different ballgame. These women are on top of it. They keep the well clean. They collect the fees and they actually keep the fees. Last, you know, when we collect the fees before, the guy took off for, you know, the capital and we never saw the money again. So... What happened during the, we'll, we'll be here all day if we don't short circuit this to exactly how we got to where we are today. And that is during the, the pandemic, while people are sheltering in place, in a place like Africa, if you shelter for the day, you don't eat. Um, we began to ask the question, well, okay, wait a second. What if women who are the biggest burden barriers of unclean water became part of the solution? In other words... There's an idea. Yeah. In a place like <laughs> South Sudan that has literally been at war since uh, the 1950s, uh, there's a culture of everything comes from somebody else, whether it's USAID, UN uh, organizations out of Europe, et cetera. It's been, that's the only way things have been done. And so wells have been drilled over the years, and they're everywhere. But there's no plan to repair them. There so, are, so NGOs come in, they yes. build a well, mm-hmm. they dig a well, mm-hmm. and then they leave. Of course. Yeah. And wells break. I mean, they're, they're, you know, like every other machine, they break. And so over time, there's, there's, these water, uh, there's a water department in every village that has somebody who's there to repair wells, but he has, he, he has no parts. And so we began to ask, what if we actually trained women to repair these wells and trained them to run it as a sustainable business, and we made sure they always had spare parts? An idea that once I began to you know, shop it around with some of the key people in, in the water world, uh, they all said, uh, great idea, but it's never been done. It's probably not going to work. Well, I, I, you know, we're two and a half years in, and it's not only working, but we have three, we've done three trainings. We now have over 30 teams um, working in the field. We, we just visited a well that broke one day and was repaired the next. 
I, I've never heard of that before. Usually when you go to a broken well and they say, well, it's been broken for six months, a year or two years. So these women are in the village, ready to repair, and they're making it happen. It's, it's, it's absolutely remarkable. I've sat with the governor of one state, and he, after telling, sharing the story, he looked around and he goes, this is a no-brainer idea. Why did we not think of it? Doesn't matter. We're do you, doing it now. Do you think it's possible that one of the reasons it wasn't thought of before is because um, this is a pretty high patriarchal society where rights where men rule over other men and women and girls and where women are thought to be a little less than, like not capable. So perhaps, you know, there's there's some ideology that needs to be overcome in order for this idea to work. Oh, absolutely. I mean... A more, you know, 20 years ago, if you visited a village, um, women to talk to men would have to approach on their hands and knees. So we're, we're talking about big cultural change. And there's actually a, a law in South Sudan now that 35% of government positions have to be women. I mean, there's becoming, there's the attempt to bring change, but in the bush, in the village, out on the ground, on the ground, <laughs> the concept is remarkable. Um, I'm here to say that, you know, we, we've visited village after village and, and pump mechanic after pump mechanic. And to see 400 people from the village gather and all the village elders to celebrate a woman who is bringing life to their village and hope to their village and to the surrounding villages is a transformative experience. Uh, we're seeing minds changed, culture changed through a simple task. Yeah. And I don't want to overstate it. This is not easy work. No, it's, it's not, every day. It it's on the ground. Um, right. In fact, you know, I'd love to tell you about uh, one of our pump mechanics, Maria. Um, you know, she's got one of the most vivacious smiles. She's just, she was very engaged in the training. She's been, you know, in the field. This is, this is just remarkable. Um, but when you take a well apart, it goes down 150 feet of pipe. It's, you know, there's a lot of heavy pipe, et cetera. And, and in the process, one pipe fell and hit her, smashed her hand and kind of in between the, the thumb and the forefinger really did. A, I mean, if we had pictures. I saw the it, picture. It's, it's gruesome gross. looking. It's gross. Yeah. And, uh, well, it turns out for, for her in her village, that meant death. There's no medical care. There's no way to take care of it. It's going to get infected and she's going to die. And the village began to actually weep and mourn that. Go through the happened. mourning process. But Maria said, I'm not ready to die. Because she's 27. Yeah, she's 27, four, four, four children. children. Exactly. Right. And uh, so she contacted Simon, our program manager, and got her to the Doctors Without Border Clinic. And they said, this is not an injury we can handle. Uh, you may take her into WOW, into the, the hospital there. And in WOW, they wanted to amputate her hand. Cut it off. Yes. Great. Simon likes to make the joke, hey, we still live in the Stone Ages here. And in some ways, he's right. I, like to, I tell people often... Uh, people in the bush in South Sudan don't live a whole lot different than their ancestors did 500 or 1,000 years ago. There's no power. There's no um, phone service. There's no, you know, there's no schools, etc. So I guess in the Stone Ages, when you had a bad injury, you would amputate to, to try to avoid infection death. and death. Right. Anyway, we were able to get her to Juba, and uh, they were able to repair her hand and do a little skin graft. And uh, one of our founding board members, Amy uh, uh, Goddard, uh, was with us and she was able to work with her and she said, your hand's going to be great. You're going to be able to get back in the field. Because Amy's can, a physical therapist. She's a physical therapist. So she gave her ways to use yeah. her hand and keep it mobile and moving. And But Maria's main concern was, can I get back in the field? Can I continue to repair wells? And can I support my family? So in a country that has 100%, basically 100% unemployment and uh, 
for her to have this role as a well, a well mechanic that is charging fees and making money, she's become a, a economic force for her neighborhood, her village, and of course for her family. And that was her number one concern. Yeah. Yeah. How do, um, well, let's talk a little bit about, uh, so you're there for the third training commencement and you brought a team over from the United States mm-hmm. and, um, some of them were board members, ex-board members, and some newbies. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was commencement, you know, ceremony, and you were supposed to speak. But um, you gave up your time. Yeah. I mean, so um, we had – Now, by, by the way, I want to be clear here. When we say we have a woman in the field repairing, we, we actually partner them with a, with a man. A woman cannot go alone hours out into the bush. It just not, doesn't happen. So the transformative part is these men are working with women as partners, and they're just having a delight together. They're actually getting a lot done together. They're realizing the power of different skills and gifts, and so that's really exciting. So we Again, about, so when the man goes home to his village, his people, his family. He's working with a woman. He's working with women and yeah. saying, this works. Yeah. Hey, yeah. you know what? They yeah. can do this. Together, we're actually a force. There's mm-hmm. the Blessed Alliance, mm-hmm. but okay. Commencement. Ghosts of commencement. It's an exciting time. We have everybody together. Um, of course, there are, you know, there are speeches. Go we, on and on and they, on. You know, typically, <laughs> they go on for quite a long time. But in the early part, uh, it was interesting because we, we honored our guests that were there. And there was a woman there, Mama Abunka. And uh, she, turns out, is a woman well mechanic. The first one ever in northern Balakazal State. Nobody had met her before. I don't actually know how she wound up there. Um, but I kept, everybody that got up kept, referring to her and I realized well she's way more than a guest here she's like it's like having LeBron James she's famous yeah she's (laughs) like a big deal so I got up for my section which you know I have to speak and I said I'd like to give my time to mama and boy did she speak boy did she speak she had everybody laughing Um, she had people in tears but she just talked about how she was she they were doing a training of well mechanics and she went and said i'd like to be trained and they said um sure come on and then when she got there they gave her a broom and turned her into a cleaner and she said no i can clean at home i'm here to be a well mechanic and they said well you're not you can't read or write she said i have a brain Mm. and uh (laughs) they they allowed her in and then when they assigned these new mechanics to different villages they didn't assign her for to anything because she's a woman because she's a woman uh some I mean, you'd have to meet her. She is, she's got a force to her, a personality that is hard to imagine. She said, listen, I want a place to work. And so she has been a pump mechanic for some time in Northern Balagazal, the first woman. Now, she's, she's working for the government doing that and probably has not had access to spare parts. So she is so excited to see these women and men being trained and the whole system that we have in place to distribute spare parts at all times so that wells can be repaired. She just, um, yeah, she, she, she was quite a challenging person. She said to them, you know, you have been given tools. Use them. That's awesome. And the women, I, I can't tell you the, the encouragement, the excitement. Um, I guess it would be like our, our, um, RBG. Uh, R- Ruth Gator, Bader, Bader Ginsburg. Ginsburg. Um, that's jet lag hitting me, you know, coming <laughs> to speak to a, a group of, yeah. you know, high schoolers who think they want to be attorneys at some right. point, you know, advocates, I mean, it, it, yeah. was, it was quite remarkable and it was, a, it was just a delight to have her there. That was great wisdom on your part to give over your time. So I, it makes me like ask the question, like, 
where do you see God in all this? Because it's a dark space. It's a dark place, also filled with lots of joy, but you've been doing this for over 20 years, and where's God? Well, I mean, I think you see God in a lot of different places, specifically when you're in the village and you see the joy in people, the celebration, their simplicity, their generousness. So I, here I have a team of kawajas, as we're called, white people that are showing up way out in the bush to in the, in the very, very heart of a hot, dry season. I'm talking 110 degrees, hasn't rained in, in so long, um, very little food. And we go into a little tukul, which is a home, and there is abundance of food for us. Right. The village has come together. All the women have come together. To They're so excited to have us there. That's I think that kind of generosity is God's kind of generosity. And I think we, we, my, we, we can find ourselves far from God's kind of generosity, but not when you're in the bush. You, it's extravagant. You can't escape it. Mm-hmm. In fact, we had some folks that were like, we can't eat this. So, you know, we, we can't take this. And they're like, if you don't, it will break their hearts. It's such a joy for them to give you the abundance. Out of, what little they have. I would say, you can't even say they gave it out of their abundance. They, they gather food together right. and to feed you in such, such a beautiful way. Is, is a, it, that's God's way. That's really God's way. That's awesome. So, And let me say this about yeah. that. Um, if you are spending, so one village we went to when he said, where were you going, women, to get water until this well was fixed? And they said, at the river. And I go, where's that? And they go, four hours walk. Now imagine, it takes at least a jerry can of water per person to really be even remotely healthy. So imagine that task and how you would lose hope in 100-degree temperatures walking every day. Um, When we repair water wells and fresh water comes out and the children come running and diving in, and it it restores hope. And I think God is a God of hope. And so I, I think every time we repair a well, um, that, that's a, I think that's God showing up and saying there is a potential here. Now girls can go back to school. Mothers can stop walking long distances. They can actually plant and harvest and feed their family. I mean, we can go on and on and on. You no longer have to get sick from dirty water, um, which takes your, your children's lives. Or if you have a little bit of money, you go get some medicine to cure it. And so now you don't have money to pay your daughter's school fees. I mean, we could, it just, it restores so many it's possibilities. It's very restorative. Yeah. Yeah. And That's kind of a cool vision, actually, and imagery to think about, because I've seen the water burst out when you mm-hmm. build, when you guys do the wells, and it, it's kind of a cool thing to see. That's actually what God is giving to the community, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's beautiful. Uh, I have uh, been married to you for 35 years, 20 of which you've been traveling to Africa, which, by the way, before you traveled to Africa, you went to India and Nepal, and I mean, you... <laughs> Your work has always, even though you worked for 14 years in a church here in America, you still traveled all the time. Um, but I've noticed that that the last couple times, like, you're more tired. Mm. And I've noticed this is impacting you more and more as time goes by. And you're really good at compartmentalizing. I know that. But some of this is sticking to you, like it stuck to our kids and... I love the heart you have for these women and men, but share a little bit about how this impacts you. (laughs) Well, I think, you know... um, You guys can't see him, but he's starting to tear up. You know, it's just (laughs) just remarkable. I mean, uh, I work in South Sudan, 
uh, we work in South Sudan and Congo, but there, you know, there's almost a billion people on the earth that don't have access to clean water, almost over two billion that don't have access to clean sanitation. Simple, simple. The, the, the people in South Sudan are going without clean water and 150 feet below them, them is water. lots of clean water. So um, our abundance, um, our constant comments in, in America today, we can't afford anything. The government can't afford anything. We can't afford anything. Um, while people go with nothing over and over and over again, I'm, uh, it, it's quite burdensome. Um, I think the more, you know, the faster, you know, everybody says how things are changing so rapidly, and they are. They're changing. You know, we have chat G GPT that came out, you know, just before I went on this trip, and by the time you get back, they're talking about that's not changing anything in South Sudan. Right. And so the division becomes greater and greater and greater. And I fear that people who've been living in, quote, unquote, the Stone Age will continue to do so while we're living in something, you know, that's from the future. And we have the ability to give hope. I and mean, all they are asking for is the ability to get clean water. They'll handle the rest. Right. Um, a, an op opportunity for education, they'll handle the rest. Um I'm, I'm overwhelmed at the people that are incredibly generous uh, that make our work possible. Uh, this last year, you know, housing markets were down, stock market was down, and I thought, boy, it's going to be a tough year for Water is Basic. It was our best year ever. And we were able to take on this third training and move boldly forward. Um, it's just a lot of emotions that come. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe I'm getting older, and maybe that's why it hits me harder. But, you know. That's not a maybe. You are getting older. These are dear and loving people, and, and uh, it's a privilege to be able to provide these opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, and it's slow but sure work. You know, I, I, when we speak to, to schools, I always say, you know, hey, guys, you remember, you know, in Thanksgiving, I'm not Thanksgiving, at Halloween, did you know that we spent over half a billion dollars on costumes? And they're like, oh, and I, for our pets. Half a billion dollars on costumes for our pets at, at Halloween. Well, you know, half a billion dollars would change a lot. Right. It would definitely mean everybody in South Sudan had access to water, but we could go way beyond that. So... Uh, I think it's a burden of uh, what we have and what we need to do. With. Yeah. Well, you carry it very well. I'm grateful for you and your work. So you're home mm -hmm. and uh, you hit the ground uh, to less than 48 hours ago. And next week you're in the process of doing a, a big fundraiser here in Austin. Mm -hmm. And I would love for those who are listening, who some, some of our listeners live in Texas and I would love for them, if they could, to understand the opportunity before them to come and hang out with us, hear more, give money. Um, tell us a little bit about that event. I, I will, um, briefly, because i got to go to a meeting. Yes, but, I know you do. Um, yes, we're having an event on Thursday night, April 20th, from 7 to 9 p.m. in East Austin at a kind of a food truck court, very Austin-type deal. Um, we will be raising money to continue this work and to actually empower this third group of women to provide uh, spare parts for them, et cetera. Uh, we have a generous donor who will match up to $50,000 that is given that night. Uh, I think the important thing for your listeners to hear is they could go to our website, waterisbasic.org, and it'll pop up this event. And you can go to that event, even though you can't, you may not be able to attend and get tickets to it, you can actually make a donation to that through that event and help us get to our $50,000 match so that we can continue to help these ladies. So we would, uh, I would boldly ask that if you're listening to this and you have the means that you would consider giving to this project because it does mean the world to the Marias uh, and the 
mamas, mamas, <laughs> and the children, and the the school principals who are like, we're so glad that this well got fixed because we have twelve hundred kids here who have been leaving us to find water, and now they can come get clean water here. It's just it's just transformative. It's hope giving. And, uh, we'd and they to. can also come hang out with us. I mean, we're kind of fun, and it's going right. to be really good food and yeah. beer, and, like, it's uh, fun. Blues music and yeah, food. We're yeah, we're fun. Uh, actually, I, I'm a big believer events should start, end on time, and to be so good that when you leave, you're begging for it to continue. So that I promise that'll happen, and if you're in town, we'd love to have you. Yeah. So I just want to thank all of you for listening and caring. We serve a global God who loves all of his creation, all. And so I want to close with praying to that global God, God of wisdom and care. We pray for you. We pray to you for all whom you call to share in the work of transforming the world so that girls, boys, women, and men may live, work, and learn together with respect and dignity. For religious leaders and communities of faith, faith shaping beliefs about the worth of women and girls, living God. In your mercy, hear our prayers. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.